And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. In the councils of government, we must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought, by the military-industrial complex. That we can, and so help us God, we will make America great again. What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the No Gimmicks Podcast. I'm your humble host, as always, Brady Leonard. Hopefully you guys had a great weekend. Uh, Great show today. Great show today. I was joined by Cliff Maloney, president of Young Americans for Liberty. had a a great chat. We talked about his organization, what they have going on uh, this year, a lot of exciting stuff, and we talked about uh, just the overall uh, state of the liberty movement, and yeah, we, we... Covered a lot of ground. I'm sure you guys will enjoy it. Before I get to Cliff, uh, guys, please follow us on Twitter at No Gimmicks Pod, and please subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Google Play. If you are on iTunes, please give us a five star rating and a good review. I'd really appreciate it. All right, without further ado, here's my chat with Cliff Maloney. What's up, guys? We're here with Cliff Maloney, president of Young Americans for Liberty. Cliff, thanks so much for taking the time, brother. Yeah, pleasure to be here. All right. So for years now, uh, YAL has been building a grassroots movement of young people across the country, starting on on college campuses and and elsewhere. And now you've launched Operation Win at the Door. Tell us about what you guys have going on. Yeah, so Operation Win at the Door, you know, in 2018, uh, the organization Young Americans for Liberty You know, we've been working now for a while kind of building this youth army of college students who believe in free markets, who believe in individual liberty and the Constitution. And as we're building all these students, you know, the one thing we've kind of have to ask ourselves is, all right, we've got this youth army of people. Now, how do we how do we be effective and go out in the community and really create an impact that will advance liberty in our lifetime? And so what we decided to do was to focus in, we've got people. So we don't need to do digital ads, radio, TV, or mail. We've got people that are interested, and that gives us an advantage. And so we decided to focus on door knocking because we think that's the most effective thing you can do when you've got individuals and activists that are excited and passionate and want to go out and impact elections. And so then we said, okay, well, where do we want to focus? Do we want to do school board, city council? Do we want to do state legislative races? congressional or Senate races or even you know statewide races like attorney general, lieutenant governor or governor, or heck, even presidential races. And so we actually mapped out kind of a, an impact score to figure out where could we have the most bang for our buck and what would have the most impact long term for the principles. And when we put this together, and I won't go into the, the weeds on how we did it, but when you look at how much you can actually make an impact door knocking versus what type of impact you can make advancing liberty, state legislative races kind of popped off the charts. And if you win state races, what happens is you now have a bench of individuals who can run for federal office. You now have people who can put forth legislation, pass legislation, force roll call votes, but they really get a microphone. They get a platform. And and we think that uh, liberty-minded individuals for far too long, you know, we've kind of been playing from the sidelines. And so we decided let's test this crazy idea out. In 2018, we launched this program, Operation Went at the Door. We did a total of 76 races. We knocked over a million doors. Uh, the, the tactic was to put students on the ground in each of these districts for a month, so about 30 days out. 
And we were able to win 37 of those races. And uh, I'm, I'm pretty excited about it. Our overall goal is to win 250 of those uh, by the end of 2020. And uh, you win 250 races by the end of 2020. You've got a bench across the country. You've got more than 5% of all the state legislative seats. I think that's when you really start to see a tipping point and we start to get these free market uh, individual liberty advocates elected. And they become kind of the, the next generation of leaders. That's incredible that you've already you've already helped 37 of these candidates get elected. And I think it's brilliant to start with the state legislatures. Uh, obviously, they can affect change just in the state legislatures. Obviously, those are important seats. They're close to their communities. And then if they if they decide to run for for Congress or for the Senate or, or statewide office, they have a voting record in the state legislature. Uh, so, that you know, their constituencies know what they're going to get. It's not, you know. <laughs> And Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez going from working at a bar to running in Congress, if you're a state legislature for four years or two years, six years, whatever, you have a voting record that you can rest your hat on. So I think that that bolsters these candidates. If if they decide to run for higher office, it helps them out in the long term as well. Yeah, it gives them a record. And look, um, we're not the typical group in that we don't just endorse these folks and then disappear. Um, We right now, I mean, I have a gentleman that works for YL's name is Chris Harrelson. And his job is legitimately to hold them accountable and to pass liberty bills. But the first part is the most important, which is you know holding these these representatives accountable. So you figure we have 37 of them. We actually just won a special election last month in South Carolina. So we're up to 38 wins. And Chris works with them. Look, when we endorse candidates, I have a rule. We don't, don't care about party. What we care about is principle and viability. And so we check this. We have a 30 question uh, survey that every single person that wants our endorsement has to fill out. And we had over 400, uh, if not over 500 people in 2018 that filled out our survey soliciting our endorsement. We only endorsed 76 of them. So we're pretty strict about who we're endorsing. But that principle and viability, that two part threshold is very important because Republicans think I'm too libertarian. Libertarians think I'm too Republican. I really don't give a shit. Uh, I care about the Amen, brother. <laughs> of freedom and individual liberty. And so what I tell people is this. Look, figure out any tactic, any vehicle, any way you need to to advance liberty by winning. And so, you know, we really look. Are they principled? Do they align with our ideas? And can they have, do they have a path to victory? And I'm very, very transparent about this. In 2018, you might say, okay, well, who did you endorse? We endorsed 73 Republicans and three Libertarian Party uh, official LP candidates. The 38 people we've got elected have all run as Republicans. And I say that not uh, with a cheery eye or not, you know, disappointed or whatever. I say that as just, look, that's the truth. Now, if I could find a Democrat who believed in lowering taxes, who believed in civil liberties, who believed in the ideas of limiting government, and they were viable, I'd support them. Um, but what I'm looking to do is look from, you have to put yourself in my shoes. We run on roughly a $6 million budget. I have to make decisions from a macro level based on where do we put resources? I am going to put resources towards candidates that can win elections and that are going to be principled liberty advocates, period. And so we're going to continue to keep that threshold of principled and viable. And that's just all about finding people and finding ways that we can get people elected, um, Depending on where they're at, what party they're running, you know, under, 
I don't care. I care about getting people elected that are actually going to give power back to we the people. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you guys are an intellectually diverse group. And you just you broke it down. That was going to be my next question to how many of these these candidates are, you know, independents or libertarians or Republicans. Um, litmus test isn't isn't the right term. But uh, what are a few of the the baseline principles, liberty principles that if these candidates don't meet that baseline, they're not going to get your endorsement or your support? Like what what is kind of if you if you have to rattle off three, four, or five of them, like what are the the baseline fundamental principles that you guys value the most? Well, let me let me start by answering that with a little bit of a different take. So, what's the easiest way for me to get rid of somebody when they apply for endorsement? And, and that's what we look for. I mean, we have a lot of what we call non-starter questions. So, you know, let's say it's a softball. Like, will you ever vote to raise taxes? <laughs> if they put yes for that, you know, I mean. It's a very easy thing to do to get rid of them because, look, what we're looking for is I want people that are running for office that want to fundamentally change the role of government. They're not looking to go in and nibble at the edges or go along to get along. They're going to go in and they have to understand when you get there, it's not going to be all rainbows and unicorns. It's not going to be some, you know, kumbaya moment. It is going to be warfare. And I don't mean that in a, you know, in a, in a, in a way that it's. I want it to be that way. I'm not advocating for that. But look, if you walk into a room and let's say there's 200 legislators or 100 legislators, depending on the state, and they're all voting along party lines and you come in and you say, hey, listen, I have a different mindset. I have a different belief of what the role of government is. I think we've been involved in too much. It makes our questionnaire that much easier to differentiate people because we do a deep dive into their philosophic underpinnings. We want to understand you know, what do they think the role of government is? So a lot of groups will just ask, will you raise taxes? You know, they, they ask kind of some of these softball questions. We ask them, but then we dive a lot deeper. Right. We have a lot of open-ended questions where we want people to respond and to really dive in and explain why they believe what they're telling us they believe. Um, and another thing I'll tell you, one of the easiest ways to get rid of people is we say, who did you support in 2008? Who did you support in 2012? And who did you support in 2016 for president? Because as much as the issues, people can tell you what you want to hear. If they went on record and they supported somebody like a, a Mitt Romney in 2012 over a Ron Paul, give me a freaking break. You know, like those are not that, that enough tells me unless they tell me they've had some transformation. I know right away, you know, if you during a presidential primary supported somebody like, you know, a Jeb Bush over a Rand Paul. Why are we even having a conversation? Right. right. Um, so, so we try to look at both who they've supported in the past, because that means they've gone on record, what candidates they've donated to at the federal level, because that's all public record in the past, because that's a commitment. And then we dive in on each of the issues. Look, you asked me to rattle off some issues. We talk, talk about right to work. We talk about school choice. We talk about taxes. We talk about understanding you know, some of the state level issues that really will shape what is their philosophy? And it's not just a questionnaire. We have a follow-up interview, and then we'll even do a final call with our endorsement committee once the staff has kind of done their analysis. So I'm just telling you, we, we really try to dive in and understand where their head is and why, uh, what is their intention for running. Right, right. I think that's great. And you're right. A lot of other groups that do this, this kind of advocacy kind of don't 
they, they don't dig this deep and it shows in a lot of the the candidates you know if they do get elected and in their voting record uh it shows they really didn't do their research um it, you know, a side note uh because you did bring up that uh that 73 out of the what was it 78 candidates that you uh you and you endorsed were actually running as a republican I, i've had this debate with people on the podcast before uh, with with guy with libertarian types like you and i that uh are really pissed off at the gop rightly rightly so i mean uh you know the, the gop <laughs> uh they've been letting us down for a long time my, my entire adult life um i've been frustrated with the gop but I, i've always come down on the side of trying to reform the gop from the inside um like like you said, one of your main points when you're when you're selecting candidates is viability. You know they have to be able to actually win. And uh, if you look at the the liberty minded individuals that have made the most impact, I mean, if it's Ron Paul, Rand Paul, Mike Lee, um, guys like that, Thomas Massey, I mean, they're they're all libertarians running as Republicans. So um, obviously, not that you guys don't endorse LP candidates, but is that kind of the side of that debate that you come down on? That it's just. It, Unfortunately, we are stuck in a two-party system, and it is best to try to reform the GOP from the inside. So, look, I think what happens is you have to look at it from a perspective of, you know, what exactly are you trying to do? And so from from my shoes, it's pretty simple, okay? Because I, I am not living in a district and deciding should I run for office and choosing. From my shoes, it's, you know— I'm looking at candidates that have already made that decision. Right. And then I'm analyzing, are they viable? But the numbers do tell you a lot. I mean, 73, it's 73 out of 76. So we endorsed three LP candidates and 73 Republicans. The reason I endorsed the LP candidates in, in let me see, how many of the races? Um, in, in all three of those races, you know, we thought they were viable. So the answer to your question is yes. Do I find that the strategy that is going to lead to victory is typically running as a libertarian Republican winning in a red district and, you know, just battling it out in the primary? Yes. The reason I say that is look at Rand Paul, look at Thomas Massey, look at Justin Amash, look at Mike Lee and look at the 38 people we've got elected. Right. It's the reason that I, you know, I go and speak at the LNC. I've got a lot of friends involved in the Libertarian Party is because I do think there's something to be said about long-term. Uh, I do think the party system at some point will shatter. And I think long-term, it's also good um, you know, to, to, to have – there are people running under the LP banner that will not admit this, but they're not running to win. Right. They are running to educate. They are running to recruit. What I can respect is I can respect if you have a plan and you execute your plan and you analyze success or – failure and then adjust your plan. And that is a lot of what we do at YL with our state house races. I've met a lot of LP candidates that have a plan. They execute the plan and you know they adjust. Now I've met tons, if not the majority, that come to me, they don't have a plan, they haven't even opened a bank account. They're not legitimately trying to do anything. Yikes. What they're trying to do is fun so that they can say they ran for office or that they can be kind of a big fish in a small pond. That pisses me off and it does a disservice to libertarian philosophy everywhere. But you look at people like Larry Sharp. Did Larry think he could win? That's out for debate. But Larry did something where he recruited tons of people in New York. He got a lot of people excited. He educated people. But he made people take action. I appreciate and respect that, especially in a blue state like New York. You also look at people like Jeff Hewitt. 
If the LP wants to become a major party, what they need is not a thousand candidates across the country. They need a thousand Jeff Hewitt's across the country. Right. Jeff Hewitt decided to run in a nonpartisan race, county supervisor race out in California, 2.5 million people. People. He represents 500,000 people in his district, and he got elected as a member of the Libertarian Party. Right. How did he do it? He cut the bullshit excuses. He understood that knocking doors was an effective strategy. He ran in a nonpartisan race. He had a conservative message of cutting government spending and cutting taxes and cutting the unions so that we could actually get back to having affordable government utility systems. But he had a mainstream message, and he won. No excuses. Those are the types of people that I think and, – and that's why I struggle to come down on one side of the argument or the other. If you're talking state house seats where it's a, a, a legislative, you have to – it's a partisan race and you have to put a ballot. Uh, I mean I don't, know how you, I don't know how you beat the Democrats and Republicans when four out of ten people are pulling the R and four out of, four out of, pull, uh, four out of ten people are going to pull the Democrat ticket regardless of what's said, who's on the ballot, or what you campaign on. How do you beat those numbers? I don't know. But I do know if you have a thousand Jeff Hewitt's around the country, it changes the narrative. And so I'm not anti going that direction. But I think I think right now, if the LP wants to be viable, they need to focus on local nonpartisan races and start to build a message at the local level. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I, I couldn't agree with you more. And for a lot of people, liberty minded Republicans or independents, libertarians, whatever, that are they they see the GOP letting them down. They see the GOP getting people elected that are not liberty candidates. And a lot of Republicans are breaking their they, they campaign like they're they're liberty minded. And then it turns out they really aren't. Um, and a lot of these liberty minded voters are, are really disenfranchised and you know discouraged. Maybe they don't want to get involved. Maybe they don't want to get involved with you guys and knock doors. You have to remember, you know, libertarian minded candidates probably are not going to have a majority in either House of Congress or a straight majority in even any state legislatures anytime soon. But look at the impact a, a small group of congressmen like the, the Freedom Caucus have. I mean, there's only what, like 18 to 20, maybe 21 uh, members of the Freedom Caucus, but they're a pain in the ass to the GOP establishment. They, they're a large enough voting block that, that Paul Ryan and now Kevin McCarthy can't ignore them. You know, they have to be taken seriously. Imagine in the Senate. I mean, we have a, a few liberty-minded senators, but imagine if there was 10. Imagine if there were 10 Rand Paul and Mike Lees. That 10 senators would be plenty enough to do some damage, you know, and make the establishment uh, stand up and take notice. And then if you break that down into the state legislatures of all 50 states, if we can just get a handful uh, in each state house and each state senate, you don't even need a majority to, to get your agenda passed. If you can be a pain in the ass to the GOP establishment with a small voting block that's that's large enough to at least amend some of these bills, get some more more liberty bills at least on the floor for a debate. It it's not like we need to change the legislature, the the makeup of the legislature of every state to make an impact. We can make it with small organized groups of candidates. Yeah, and look, Brady, you're spot on. I mean, this is the problem I run into. The, the excuse I hear from people where it's like, well, the GOP doesn't represent me. Okay, well, let me call you out on your bullshit. Right. What the hell are you talking about? What does that even mean? Right, right, right. What political party does? And if the political party has to represent your entire ideology, you're going to be very disappointed. Why not pick a vehicle that can get you elected? Thomas Massey represents me. Justin Amash represents me. Rand Paul represents my ideals. I mean, like, I don't see the disconnect here. Well, I see it. I see it and I hear it a lot. But it's like, 
Are you really that pissed off because you have a Donald Trump or you have Republican establishment, you know, swamp creatures who are passing trillion dollar deficits? Yeah. OK, that pisses me off, too. But like take a step back and make a tactical decision that you have people like Rand Paul and Justin Amash and Thomas Massey that have shown there's a path to victory for people that believe in libertarian philosophy. So until I see a different path. Like, I got no sympathy for those people. I'm not asking pure alliance to a party. No, I'm not asking for that at all. But what needs to happen is, is like, you can't bash. When, when the score is like, I don't know, let's say 10 to nothing for libertarians that have got elect, elected to Congress as Republicans versus anything else, like, come on, there's your path to victory. There's your actual process that you can scale. And so, look, from a, from a national organization perspective, Right. I'm a small town guy from the suburbs of Philadelphia. I'm trying to figure this thing out just like the rest of us. And when I take a step back and we've got this budget that we have and this project we put together because we're saying, look, I need to figure out how to scale. And by scaling, I mean, I'm trying to figure out what are processes I can build to actually win and take the country back and advance liberty. The process I found that works to scale is running as a Republican, getting elected to state office. Then you've got name ID, you've got a donor base, you've got the volunteers and activists. You now have what they call the you know, palette to success to run for Congress. So my objective right now is to win 250 of these races at the state level, give 250 people the ability to get a record, figure out how to raise money, understand the basics of the process, because that's scalable. I can go out and do this. And heck, once we win 250, why not go for 500? Why not go for a thousand over the next 10 years? Hell and yeah. if all of a sudden, you're exactly right, if all of a sudden we can build kind of a caucus, if we have enough people, you don't need a majority. But that is scalable to me in a way that is, you know, I have somebody said to me once, well, do you agree with the plan to take over the Republican Party? What's the other plan? There, there is none. And there, I mean, there's, that's no, there's no other plan. Right now, what is the other plan? And if it's building the LP, okay, then take my advice and start focusing. Focusing on nonpartisan races where you can beat back on the electoral, uh, you know, impossible circumstances that you have to face as a third party candidate and start to build. But based on current environment, that is the only plan. Absolutely. And you never know. I mean, you know, with these candidates you've endorsed for, you know, Ohio's 40th state house district or whatever. I mean, look, a guy like Mike Lee was on the short list. He, he was in the final three to be selected to serve on the Supreme Court. Okay. It's like you you never know and and he wouldn't even be, he he may end up on the Supreme Court one day, right? He never would have been in that position if he didn't make the decision as a libertarian to run as a Republican and then eventually get elected statewide and you know he, he might who knows at the end of his career he might spend 30 years uh on the Supreme Court. You never know. So you never know what, what these candidates going to end up doing. Uh one more thing Cliff before I let you go. Um I want to talk a little bit about like the health and the state of the liberty movement in the era of President Donald Trump. And I don't mean the conservative movement. I mean specifically the, the liberty movement, which I kind of define as taking the conservative movement to its logical conclusion, I'd say. You know, conservatives that aren't, you know, pussies, for lack of a better term. But so there, there's a lot of good and bad for liberty-minded conservatives or, or libertarians, whatever you want to define people like you and I as. There's been a lot of good, right? You know, the tax cuts, great. The deregulation's been outstanding. You know, there, 
Trump, I, I wish he had pulled out of Syria and, and ended the, the genocide in Yemen, obviously. But hey, he, he can say something that is uh, most two recent predecessors can't and that he hasn't started any new wars in his first few years of presidency. So, I mean, there, there's been some good and then there's been some bad. For instance, he's convinced 75% of the Republican Party that tariffs are a good idea. So, like, there is some big negatives having a, an, an unprincipled man like Donald Trump. As, as much as I, I like him in, in a lot of ways, he's not the most principled person on the face of the earth, and I think that may do some damage to the liberty movement as well. So there's a lot of good and bad. Where, where do you view the liberty movement right now, and, and how has it been affected by Trump's presidency? Yeah, so I think the first thing I should do is give some advice. This is to act activists, to, to organization leaders, to, to anyone that, that wants to advance liberty. The number one thing that I have actually seen is this is a, a, a an opening for the liberty movement, the Trump presidency, is all of a sudden every single group either thinks Trump is the devil or the messiah. You know, every <laughs> single group on the right, he is, you know, they have to be all in for Trump, no matter what he says or does or any policies he puts forward. Everybody on the left wants to impeach him every single day of the week. That creates an opening for us to focus on issues. Now, listen, trying to have a microphone in a room to talk about issues, libertarians have failed at that for the last 50 years. Oh, you know, yeah. Nobody cares about issues. They care about emotion. But what it does is it gives us room to figure out how to be emotional and how to, how to present things to people that are simplified, not watered down, but simplified with principle. But, but figure out what motivates people. We are now the rational people in the room in terms of when Trump does things around in line with our principles, I praise him. When he does things that are not in line with our principles, I criticize him. Tariffs, okay, let's let's break this down. It should be real simple. Taxes are bad. Taxes are tariffs. Tariffs are bad, right? I jokingly tweeted that the other day, and you would have thought people's heads were exploding. But <laughs> it's simple to us. But yeah, so do I praise him on things like some of his rhetoric on foreign policy has been fantastic. America first, bring the troops home. Right. But then some of his actions have not been fantastic and i'm happy to you know correct the record on that and say look this is not in line with what you ran on we need to be reducing and bringing the troops home um spending spending through the roof i mean we're running trillion dollar deficits that's not conservative that is not fiscally responsible so we've got to kind of stand up and say this now the other thing is i don't blame trump uh, a lot of things are happening you know through congress that people say i'm giving trump a pass but no i mean there is an entire swamp out there uh, um, that the bureaucracy is real. You know, the incentives are real and trying to cut anything in this town uh, is, is nearly impossible. I'm not, I'm not defending him on that, but what I, what I get wary about is these people that get in this, this Trump derangement syndrome that everything he does is horrible. And I warn a lot of Liberty folks against this because it's like, look, Trump will only be allowed around for so long and there's going to be opportunities to take over the mantle of the party or to advance the cause. And so I think folks, Focus on issues. Um, when you focus on just supporting or not supporting somebody, that's the dumbest tactic I've ever heard. Right. Because a majority of Americans voted for the guy. So why are you automatically cutting off your microphone by saying like anything Trump touches is evil? To me, that is not the way to go. Um, I don't believe in blind trust. Don't get me wrong. But I think we need to build coalitions where we can build them, but continue to drive based on issues and based on principle, not based based on personality, and I'd like to see more of that. Yeah, it seems pretty reasonable to me. Seems pretty fucking simple if you lay it, if you lay it out that way. Well, one more thing I let you uh, before I let you go. Um, I wasn't planning on bringing this up, but 
Justin Amash is somebody who I have a tremendous amount of respect for. He's one of my favorite members of Congress. I, I mean, his voting record is outstanding. I, I did, I, I thought it was pretty nuts actually, uh, with him calling for Trump's impeachment. And uh, I, I've read everything he's he's written about it, all the the Twitter threads and everything. And I, I'm not seeing any logic behind um, his claims. I, I, it, it almost seems like he's misrepresenting Bob Mueller's report. More than he says, you know, uh, uh, William Barr is. Uh, where was, was that strange to you? Do you, do you think uh, do you think there's any merit to what Justin Amash has been saying? I, it, it's it's weird to me. I, I'm I'm with Justin on just about everything, man. I think he's been tremendous. He's been a tremendous public servant, but I think he's he, I think he's way off on this one. Yeah, so it's been interesting because a lot of people have asked my reaction, and uh, the the truth is I'm not surprised at all. You know, Justin Amash. Do I think it's it's an interesting take, yes. But if you know Justin the way I know him, this is what Justin Amash did. Justin Amash sat down and he read the report. And when he got done reading the report, I'm sure he took plenty of notes and he said to himself, there's enough here for obstruction. And you might think, well, is he going off his gut or what exactly is he pointing to? I mean, he laid it out in his threads, but that's his belief. People say he's doing it for political reasons. I think that's bullshit. No, that but, is bullshit. Um, if you look at his district, if you look at his district, that doesn't even make sense. I mean, that's he's right. only hurting himself politically. Right, right. So to me, um, you know, is it politically smart? Probably not. Um, but that's not the things Justin cares about. And, and is that going to be his downfall? Probably. Um, the fact that he is his principle and authentic. But you know the best thing about Justin Amash is he comes out and makes a statement. And regardless of what you think of his statement, during the whole town hall, you know, the one thing that really stuck out to me is somebody asked something. His reply was, of all the people trying to drain the swamp the most, of all the people that are fiscally conservative, since 2010, I have voted for the least amount of government spending than anyone else in the entire congressional record. And when you talk about all the senators and all the House members, and that includes people that have come and gone, his record is going to be the thing that is going to make that most difficult for people to combat. But what's what's interesting, and I don't once again, what's interesting is the left is going to use him now as this bipartisan, you know, Republicans are now calling for impeachment. But what I'm interested in is Nancy Pelosi, because I think Nancy's a lot more smarter. Than, it's a lot smarter than people give her credit for. She, she now has to make a decision. She's in the hot seat. Does she move forward with impeachment, which she knows will not go anywhere in the Senate? Right. And all of a sudden, she's going to lose. Look, if she moves forward with impeachment, they lose the House. Right, right. Because right. the people in swing districts, they're tired of it. They think it's a witch hunt. I mean, polling will show you. Most Americans think it's bullshit. Um, so to me, that's the rub here. Because it, it's honestly, it's one of these, I'm not calling it a 4D chess maneuver by Trump, but if Pelosi he moves for impeachment, she's pretty much giving up her speakership. Um, and I don't think she has the, I think the power is too strong there. And so the activists, the radical leftist activists are going to push her for impeachment. I don't think she'll do it. And I might be wrong because they're pretty powerful folks, but that's what interests me right now is like, where does that go? And you're, you're absolutely right that Speaker Pelosi is a lot smarter than most people give her credit for because she knows everything that you just laid out. I mean, she is completely aware of the situation that's in front of her, and she knows they lose the House if they try to impeach. She knows that she probably—she'd be the reason why Trump gets reelected, or at least a major reason, if they try to impeach. 
And I, I don't know how she she is on a tightrope <laughs> right now, Cliff. Like balancing logic and reason with with the the far left socialist base. Um, I don't know how she navigates this. I mean, she can only hold off impeachment for so long before they just start they bring out the pitchforks. So it'll definitely be interesting to see what she does moving forward. Yeah, I agree. We will see. We will wait and see. So, Cliff, I've already kept you uh, over time today. Thanks so much for being generous with your time, brother. Uh, where can everybody follow you online? Where, where can everybody check out uh, YAL? And, and how can people get involved? Yeah, absolutely. So, look, we always need three things. We need people to run for office. We need student activists to knock doors. And we need any resources to help us with our funding. YALiberty.org slash door. You can check us out there. Uh, you can also recommend a candidate if you have somebody you think we should be endorsing. And I uh, would tell you to check us out on Twitter, at YA Liberty, and uh, my personal handle, handle at Liberty Cliff. Uh, we're always posting the dank memes, and uh, we'd love for people to get involved. All right, everybody follow Cliff. He's great. Everybody check out the site. Get involved, whether you're looking to run for office, whether you want to uh, donate some money if you have money, or, hey, man, don't be a bitch. Put your money where your mouth is. Get out there. Walk the miles. Knock on the doors. It makes a difference. Everybody check that out, please. Uh, that's all I got for today. I'm Brady Leonard. I'll be back on Wednesday. No gimmicks. Um.